Hello, everybody. This is Dan Maholland along with Henry Cassell with another Health Law Expressions podcast. Don't get burnout from your wellness program. Today, we're going to be talking about the new statute that was part of the Consolidated Appropriations Act of uh, 2022, which created a new Stark Law exception and anti-kickback safe harbor for physician wellness programs. This will have direct applicability to anybody who's concerned about the growing crisis of physician and other clinician burnout. Henry, can you just uh, give us a summary of what's in this uh, new statute and how it might affect hospitals and their medical staffs? Sure, Dan. I mean, uh, as you point out, this is a new amendment to the Stark statute. So this is not a regulation. This is a congressional um, act that amended the Stark law, and it also added an exception to the anti-kickback statute for physician wellness programs. So this is Congress specifically recognizing that physician wellness programs deserve some sort of recognition under the and, and protection under the Stark law. So what uh, the law, what the, the Stark amendment is that a, they define a bona fide mental health or behavioral health improvement or maintenance program that is offered by a hospital or certain other organizations such as an ambulatory surgery center, a community health center, a rural emergency hospital, which remember earlier last year, earlier this year, I guess, um, when Congress created rural emergency hospitals, they recognized them as a different kind of provider. And therefore, just the fact that this law applies to hospitals doesn't mean that it would automatically apply to a rural emergency hospital, but Congress made it clear that rural emergency hospitals are included, a rural health clinic, a skilled nursing facility, or a similar entity as determined by the secretary that has a medical staff and neither the provision of such a program or the value of the program are contingent upon the number or value of referrals made by the physician to that entity or the amount of other business generated by that entity. And Henry, physician to that end. Henry, that last part that you mentioned, a uh, similar entity as determined by the secretary, suggests that there may be some regulations. However, as of today, July 5, 2023, no regulations have been published, nor do they have to be. As Henry said, this is a statutory exception, and then its uh, companion piece is a statutory safe harbor that are self-executing to any program that exists on or after December 29. 2022. In fact, we just checked on the uh, CMS Physician Self-Referral website uh, this morning, and while there are no regulations in the pipeline as far as we know, there was a section in the uh, website that mentioned this and specifically confirmed, CMS confirms, that this statutory exception slash safe harbor is in effect right now. Right. So what this, what the effect of this is that a hospital can provide a bona fide mental health, behavioral health improvement or maintenance program to a physician on the hospital's medical staff if that program consists of counseling, mental health services, 
a suicide prevention program, or a substance use disorder prevention and treatment program is made available to a physician for the primary purpose of preventing suicide, improving mental health and resiliency, or providing training and appropriate strategies to promote mental health and resiliency of the physician is set out in a written policy approved in advance of the operation of the program by the governing body of the entity providing the program and includes a description of the content and duration of the program, a description of the evidence-based support for the design of the program, the estimated cost of the program, the personnel including qualifications conducting the program, and the method by which that uh, entity will evaluate and use the evaluate the use and success of the program. So this requires a specific policy aimed at the individual who is receiving this again, they'll call it remuneration. It's accepted from the term of remuneration by the Stark Law. So you can't just have a general policy, Dan, right? You have to have something specific for the individual that is subject to this program, right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, a lot of hospitals, medical staffs have a physician health policy or even a physician wellness policy that describes how the hospital and or medical staff leadership might intervene in the case of a physician experiencing some sort of physical or mental health problem that could affect their performance. That's really not what we're talking about here, although some of those policies have as part of them a way in which the individual can get help if he or she needs help. So that you may want to take a look at your physician health policy if you have one to see if it's addressing this kind of formal physician wellness program as opposed to describing how intervention would occur if somebody has a problem. By the same token, more and more hospitals would venture to say, just anecdotally, the majority of hospitals have some kind of physician or clinician wellness program that may or may not be defined in a policy. And the Stark exception, of course, only applies to physicians because that's all that Stark applies to. You don't need to address non-physicians like PAs, nurse practitioners, or nurses or other clinicians. The kickback statute applies to physicians and other clinicians because the kickback law is more broad-reaching than the Stark Law in terms of uh, the possible effect of a financial relationship between two different individuals or entities who refer to one another. But the idea of a physician wellness program is all well and good, but you may not have a policy adopted by your board. So I think if you have either a physician health policy or a physician wellness program, or you're looking at adopting either or both of those, you may want to focus on those uh, five elements that Henry mentioned in terms of what that policy would consist of. And there's a couple things in there that I think you need to have uh, pay close attention to because of the fact that they go beyond what a lot of uh, hospitals and medical staffs typically think of as physician wellness programs. And, and this being a amendment to the fraud and abuse laws, you also have to recognize that they included some other terms such as that the doctor has to be a member of the medical staff or, or practice in the geographic 
area served by the hospital. It's offered to all physicians, regardless of their ability to the volume of value of referrals they make or business they generate. And it's evidence-based and conducted by qualified health professionals. And they recognize that the they authorize the Secretary of, of uh, CMS to adopt additional regulations that may add additional requirements. So you want to be careful to realize that while this is in effect, there could be a new uh, regulatory action in, and usually you want to watch the physician fee schedule because that's where they slip in uh, new Stark regulations and Stark exceptions that um, would add additional requirements. But as Dan said, there, you know, you have to also recognize that in the requirements, you have to include the estimated cost of the program, the personnel is going to conduct the program, and the method by which the program will evaluate and use the success of the program. So it's it's a little more specific than what you see in a lot of general health or wellness program policies. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot to unpack there. I mean, for instance, the method by which the entity will evaluate the use and success of the program, uh, that's something that typically is not done. You have a program, people um, avail themselves of it if they feel they need to, they get their problem addressed, and hopefully they recover. But some of the ideas that I've seen floated around online about evaluating success might be as simple as a satisfaction survey. You send a satisfaction survey out to the people who are covered by this policy, which, by the way, wouldn't just be the people on your medical staff, but it's any physician or clinician in the geographic area. So you say, hey, how are you doing now? You know, are you feeling worse than you did before? Are you feeling better? A lot of tools are out there to evaluate potential burnout. So you can maybe do a baseline study, and then a year from now, do a study to see if there's any improvement in the uh, survey respondents. Another could be looking at turnover rates. Um, you know, how many people are coming into uh, the area, how many people have retired or left, and is any of the churn that you're seeing in your workforce attributable to burnout? Odds are that it is. But there's no hard and fast rule how you do it, but you just have to do it. Same thing with the uh, evidence-based support for the design of the program. That's something where, again, you go online, you get a ton of information about physician wellness, clinician wellness programs, and uh, clinician burnout, and suggesting that there is some evidence-based support for having a program like this. But a lot of times that's just assumed, that you just assume, yeah, okay, it's a good idea to address burnout. We're going to do it like the uh, system down the street does it, and everything will be fine. Now you have to peg uh, something to some kind of evidence basis that shows that this actually works. By the way, the AMA has a wealth of information on their website. Just type in physician burnout on the American Medical Association's uh, website, and they have a lot of toolkits, playbooks, and different things. In fact, the new flavor of the month that you're beginning to see in a lot of systems is a chief wellness officer, somebody who's going to be charged with making sure that the workforce in general or physicians on the medical staff in particular are going to be, you know, addressed in terms of potential burnout. So if you have a chief wellness officer, maybe you want to assign him or her the responsibility of looking into developing this kind of program. And also, you know, again, you're, you're looking at something that has to be kind of agnostic in terms of the physicians and clinicians who participate in it. You can't say, hey, if you um, want our active medical staff, will offer this and not to anybody else because active medical staff by design 
are going to be referring more business than the courtesy staff or others. So it has to be almost universally applicable in your service area. So and and it has to be done by a hospital. You could do this as part of your physician uh, group practice if you wanted to, but it wouldn't be protected by the safe harbor. Although if you were just doing it for employees, Henry, wouldn't that probably be covered by the employment exception under Stark? Right. That's the important thing to keep in mind is that while this exception is specifically aimed at a hospital's ability to help physicians in the area with burnout and wellness programs as defined by the statute. Don't forget, there are other exceptions that can apply. The employment exception is very broad. That would apply to a physician group. It would also apply to services other than physician burnout, quality, behavioral issues. I mean, the one bad thing about this is that it doesn't go far enough to include a lot of the other medical staff services that have historically been provided to physicians who are not employed. Again, if you're dealing with employed doctors, you can usually, you can address those through the employment exceptions and employment terms of both the anti-kickback statute and the Stark law. And if you're dealing with non-employed physicians in area other than wellness, behavioral or clinical, then we think there are other exceptions that can apply. But this is at least congressional recognition that there is an issue with physician burnout and they will allow hospitals to assist doctors to get through that burnout and back to being functioning and hopefully uh, returning to their clinical services so that they can once again help the hospital and the community served by the hospital. Yeah, if you're offering something to your employees, you're probably okay because it would be covered by the employment exception under Stark as, as any employee benefit would be. You probably have an employee assistance program or something along those lines right now that's offered to all employees. And the kickback law doesn't apply to bona fide employment relationships. The area I think we're focusing on is what happens if, say, your physician health program suggests that if a physician is exhibiting some signs of a potential mental or physical health issue or disability, that you want to get an assessment done. The Equal Employment Opportunity Commission, EEOC, has published some guidance that, at least for employees, whenever you're requiring an employee to have an assessment, the employer has to pay for that assessment. Again, that's guidance from the EEOC, but they treat it as uh, something carved into tablets being sent down from Mount Sinai. So you're well advised to follow it. Uh, Also, the EEOC takes the position that a lot of what it says applies to medical staff appointment, even though medical staff members who are not employed are not employees of the hospital. But again, that probably isn't going to be a problem because you got another federal agency saying you have to pay for it, number one. Number two, that benefits the institution, uh, not just the individual. The assessment is for the institution to use to decide what, if anything, to do about the physician who's exhibiting some issues, as opposed to a benefit to the physician. So, you know, the fact that Congress set out curbs and gutters in this physician wellness program uh, statutory exception slash safe harbor doesn't mean that you can't do what you've probably been doing all along, which is, Doc, you're having some problems. We want you to go to a program and get evaluated. We'll pay for it. That's not a problem because that benefits you and not the individual. I think it'd be a stretch, don't you, Henry, to say that that's remuneration 
to the physician. I, I agree. I mean, I think that this is very beneficial. You can make, I think some people will make a lot out of the negative implications that they limited it to physician burnout, but I think that there's enough area outside of this new statutory exception that you can use to address the issues we've always addressed through the medical staff. The one thing I do think you want to exercise caution is who you're providing the benefit to and how you're selecting it. You shouldn't just say, oh, they're the biggest admitter, we have to do something, or this person doesn't admit enough, we really don't care about them. I think that as long as you address them on an individual basis, which is the way medical staffs have traditionally addressed physician issues, uh, you should be fine. And there will be an exception that will apply. But we wanted to make sure you're aware of this specific exception because it is a benefit. One other thing we wanted to make you aware of is the next provision in the um, Consolidated Appropriations Act, Section 4127, the title says Contingency Management Interventions. And I kept thinking, what the heck is that? I didn't even read it further. But what if you do read it further, you'll realize that the title has a typo in it. They're not talking about contingency management interventions. They're talking about contingency management incentives. And they're directing the OIG to consider a safe harbor within the next year that will provide some sort of safe harbor protection for contingency management incentive payments. We don't know what that will be or whether the OIG will actually adopt anything. All they've been told, directed is to consider it. But it is something that you should look out for on the horizon, because I do think that uh, with that kind of direction from Congress, there don't be surprised if you see a safe harbor that deals with contingent management incentive compensation arrangements that will allow managers to be paid a percentage of based on the revenue generated by a physician practice or uh, other management entity. So just getting back to the issue of the physician wellness programs, yes, we'll see what happens with the contingency management uh, uh, incentives later on. If you have a physician wellness program or clinician wellness program now, is it uh, described in a board-adopted policy? If not, put a policy together that describes the program and have it adopted by the board, and also make sure it um, reflects the five elements that Henry discussed that have to be in there, uh, so that then you have some backup. If anybody ever questions whether or not this program and the assistance it provides to the clinicians who could benefit from the program would violate the Stark Law or anti-kickback statute. Frankly, I never heard of anybody even suggesting that until this came up. But right. uh, I think it's a useful um, safe harbor slash exception, and it's something you may want to consider. Look into your policies. And Henry, I think we're going to be talking about this a lot more in November at our Physician Contracts and Compliance Program. So uh, if you haven't done so already, check out our website. We'd love to see you in Phoenix. Uh, in the second week of November. And remember, there may be more regulations down the pike that will address this uh, so that we want to you want to keep track of what's happening in uh, not only with Congress, but with CMS in the near future. Well, hopefully this has been helpful for you folks. Uh, again, this is Health Law Expression signing off. <laughs>